I spent uh, about six weeks out in Tahoe between February and March. So, it, it, oh, the, the snow was incredible this year. So I really enjoyed it. Did you take a take a swim in the cold water? I did not. Oh man, it's it's refreshing. Yeah. Yeah, I did it. I did it in like April or May or something. I was there for a bachelor party years ago and just took a took a big dive in. Feels good. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks and I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey guys, it's Johnny, and welcome to episode 58 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm here with Sam Marks. Hey guys, hey Johnny. This week, we're going to have on Jeff Schneider to talk about Royalty Exchange. It's royaltyexchange.com where you can acquire music royalties for some of your favorite artists. So super cool, non-correlated and new alternative asset class. Yeah, I think one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is it really opens our minds to other things to invest in. Everyone always talks about stocks and the, the different types of you know, stock investing, whether it's mutual funds or ETFs, but it's all, you know, stocks. And Real estate. And the same thing with real estate. You know, there's now all these different types of ways to invest in real estate, which I personally love, but I never thought in a million years I can own a royalty to music. And if you guys don't know what that is, basically music royalty is you own the rights to a song. So if they play it on a TV show or in a movie, you get money every time they play it. Yeah, and we're learning in this episode that there's different types of royalties from music. There's songwriter music, there's the composer, there's there's a bunch of different types and layers in between. But dude, Johnny, imagine if I came up to you tomorrow and said, hey, I'm going to sell you Jay-Z's royalties to some of his songs and you can make money on his songs for the rest of your life. And there's just like, there's so much cool opportunity. And Another cool thing that you guys are going to find out about this, this is another asset class that you do not have to be accredited. So it's going to appeal to a lot of people. Some of the previous artists that you could buy through Royal Exchange were Jay-Z, Britney Spears for the rockers out there. There's Korn for the country people. There's Casey Musgrave. So some of the top, top people in the categories. And it's easy for anyone just basically to go on and, and acquire those royalties. Yeah, definitely. So I'm excited to kind of learn a bit more because honestly, if I if I just look at the site, it's a bit confusing. You know, I could I could see it's a bit process, but then I scroll down, I see, you know, some of them you get the copyright for, some of them you don't get the copyright for, some of them you get live performance rights, which you know I I thought just meant you know when the artist goes and plays a concert. I'm thinking. These guys aren't playing concerts anymore. It's been like 10 or 20 years. <laughs> and even if they are today, will they be next year? Yeah, definitely. So I think I am completely wrong about all these. So I'm really, really excited to have Jeff come on and actually explain the ins and outs of royalty exchange and buying royalties. Yeah, so let's uh, hear it from Jeff. And guys, stay on until after the show. We're going to have our takeaways. Awesome. Enjoy the episode, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Invest Like a Boss. Today, I'm joined with Jeff Schneider, the president and CFO of Royalty Exchange. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Yeah, Sam. Thanks for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun because this is a very interesting and new asset class. And I know Johnny and I have been looking forward to talking about this stuff for a while, really digging deep into royalties and how investors can access this new alternative asset class. And maybe just to kick it off, Jeff, if you can give us kind of a quick background on you and what the founding story and, and how the platform came to be. Yeah, sure. So I'm actually a CPA by trade. And so royalties and balance sheets and all that kind of nerdy stuff has always been in my background. So as a as I started investing, I, I became interested in royalties as an asset class. And that's actually how I discovered Royalty Exchange. And so I found it, it was probably back in 2013 or 2014, I uh, was really interested in what they were doing, and I, I was looking for ways to participate in royalties as the asset class. Um, we liked the idea so much that uh, towards the end of 2015, we ended up buying the business. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. I had no idea. Yeah. and it, I mean, I guess in my mind, the the opportunity, it solves a problem for both sides of the market. You know, and I, I've... I have a, I'm a big believer that royalties is actually the largest asset class without an established market. If you think of almost any other market or asset that exists, there's a pretty clear and established market for it, except for royalties. So, you know, with investors, you know, as they're basically seeking 
you know, alternative assets. They're looking for yield and kind of historically low period right now. And the stock market is at all time highs. So they're just looking for things that are not correlated to all of these other asset classes that are out there. And royalties solves that solves that problem for them. Um, on the other side, you know, sellers, a lot of the artists that we've worked with in the music business, they've experienced a huge transformation where it used to be completely centralized. All of the financing of the music business was completely centralized, and that left them with very little options. All of their deals were take it or leave it. They were all private deals, kind of like done in the back room, and a lot of these people got screwed. So, you know, we're basically just shifting that balance and with with artists and creatives who need you know capital and the the financial investors who are looking for the alternatives it's uh, we're just pulling the match together so it solves both of their problems that's really cool and when you say centralized like the financing was centralized does that mean it was there's kind of like a few de facto go-to type of you know financiers behind these royalties in the past yeah, actually, good, great question. It wasn't even the financiers uh, in many ways. They, they've never really had a lot of access to the capital markets. It was really just the companies themselves, the big labels, the Sonys, the Universals, the people who discovered and then kind of curated the, the career of the artist. They were, they were really the primary source of financing for these folks. Cool. Wow. And, you know, when, when we talk about royalties, it seems like it's there's so many different categories that royalties could really go into. Are you guys specifically dealing only with music royalties or is there, are there other opportunities in there? Uh, yeah. So right now we're focused primarily on music. There, there are royalties spread almost in almost any asset class, you know, whether it's books, photos, patents, intellectual property, trademarks, um, even in alternative energy. But right mm -hmm. now we're primarily focused in music and it's a, uh, it's slightly easier to understand for many reasons, and uh, there's less kind of counterparty risk. Uh, so for those reasons, we're, we're kind of starting out in the music business. Yeah, I think even as like a kid growing up, even before you learn how interest works, you kind of get the concept of royalties because everyone as a kid has got a favorite uh, rock artist or pop band. And we know them to be very successful and very wealthy in a lot of time in a lot of ways. And we know that that's because of their, their music. So I would imagine that a lot of times, and I don't know how this works, maybe, maybe you can share a little bit more light. Someone comes out with a hit song, they can make money off that, just that one hit song for, for the rest of their life, right? That's essentially how royalty works in music. Yeah, I was actually going to joke that even, even after, you know, 20 years, they can still be making quite a bit of money. So, you know, the, Probably two really famous ones is the American Pie. Don McLean, you know, wrote that back in the 70s, and it's still generating north of $250,000 a year for him. Oh my gosh! Um, and so the, you know, ultimately, I guess if you were to step back and say royalties are just a slice of the top, it's really a slice of the revenue. So it's much higher up the value chain than almost any other than really any other investment. So. You know, the way it works in music, I guess, without kind of getting too complex, there's two main copyrights. There's what's called the composition copyright and the sound recording copyright. So the composition is just the song as it's written. And then the sound recording is the song as it's recorded by a particular artist. So we could take the Don McLean. Another good example would be uh, Mel Torme is the guy who actually wrote the the Christmas song. You know, if, if every, everybody knows it, it's chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was going to ask you to sing it. <laughs> I won't, I won't serenade anybody with, with my voice. Uh, I think it's much, much better done by, by Nat King Cole. Yeah, but, okay. uh, but you know, so Mel Torme actually wrote that with another writer, believe it or not in July back in the forties, it wasn't even written in during Christmas season, but it was originally recorded by Nat King Cole. Uh, so Mel Torme owns that composition copyright. And then when Nat King Cole recorded it, he, re he owned the recording copyright. So there's two different sources of copyrights. And then almost no matter where it gets played, both of those sources generate income or generate royalties. Okay. So we're driving down the road. We turn on the radio. The radio is playing chestnuts roasting on an open fire. How does the radio station get the rights to play that song? And, and what, what type of – any idea what type of money they pay to play that song? Sure. Uh, the interesting part in the U.S. is actually that – that is a statutory rate 
that's de- that's developed by the copyright board. Mm. So in the U.S., uh, in the radio play only goes to the songwriter. Actually, the main artist doesn't even get paid for that. So when Nat King Cole plays the Christmas song, he doesn't make any any money from it. Mel Torme makes all of the money. But the weird part is that's only in the U.S. Everywhere else in the world, both of those uh, copyrights get paid. The U.S. Okay. is a unique, a unique outlier. Hmm. This is really that's really interesting. So just by essentially writing a song creatively and finding someone to sing it. I mean, you have to put the whole thing together, of course, but just by being the writer, you can make a lot of money and writing a song that might only take you a day. Yeah. Mel Torme wrote that with somebody else. Uh, it was in an afternoon. I think the story I hear is three hours. Um, and now, you know, 50, 60 years later, he's still generating 300, his estate is still generating $300,000 a year from it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really good. So what other, I mean, the music industry has obviously changed a lot in the last 10, 15 years. I don't know that much about it, but just seeing all the different ways that music's played now, we have Pandora, we have all these, these streaming radios, we have iTunes, we still have CD sales to, to some degree, I imagine, record sales, probably not so much, but it seems like there's all these new channels of distribution. I guess every single one of those channels is a revenue stream for the royalties. That's correct. I mean, I guess to to be simple, and and we do we do have uh, a guide on our site called the Ultimate Guide to Buying Music Royalties. I would encourage we explain a lot of more of the the nuances of it. But to be very simple, you kind of have like the sales, that's the CDs and everything. Then you have streaming, which is all of the internet radio, internet streaming type stuff. You have radio, which that's the one as we talked here in the U.S. It's mm-hmm. only the songwriter gets paid. Um, but then anytime you see music in radio t- or sorry, in TV or movies, uh, that's what's called a sync right. That's usually a, a one time right that somebody pays for for the music. And then anytime you hear music at a bar or at a concert, all of that all has to get paid. You know, all of that goes into these larger collection groups that then pay them to the to the owners of those copyrights. So it's a pretty big well-organized process. I mean, I've never thought too deeply about this stuff, but it seems like royalties as a, an asset class for music seem very robust for whoever's holding that royalty. Yeah. And that's actually one of the reasons we, you know, as we mentioned earlier that we're focused in music right now. And it's primarily because title is easier to understand, you know, and mm-hmm. when, when it's transferred, it's an irrevocable transfer. It's basically owned by the, by the buyer from the platform um, but then also that counterparty idea, you know, nobody, nobody new to the music business, you know, even, even myself, uh, being, being doing this, this for a few years is really capable of going to every bar in the U S and collecting, you know, their ability to play music. So these agencies exist the same way that, uh, when you hop in an elevator and they have little certificates, you know, you see like the inspection certificate mm-hmm. bars and, and public performance areas where you hear music they all have the same the equivalent of that for music where that just makes sure that they're paying into the the larger fund well that's awesome and i and i guess when you start talking about international rights and and things of that nature it starts getting really complicated you need like a a very large overseeing authority to be able to to monitor and keep at least most of it in check yeah i mean the good news is these are mostly quasi government agencies so you know even international it, it the whole collection and enforcement is complex at their level, but for the investor, it's pretty, you know, you know that it's handled. So that's awesome. That's part of the reason we like it. Very cool. I'm very curious to know what royalties look like in terms of, okay, let let me back up. Maybe the better way to think of it is, so you come out with a song today, your ability to go global is probably tenfold what it was 10 years ago, just because of all these different new channels that are, you know, you can, you can publish a song and, and it can be listened to around the world and, you know, split second essentially. So in that way you have access to a lot more customers quicker. So I would think that that would mean that royalties or the amount of money that a a musician, a musician or uh, the right holder of a royalty could make would be a lot more than it was 10 years ago, but maybe there's there's more middlemen in the pie now. But I'm wondering if you have any type of stats about of kind of royalty growth over the last 10, you know, a couple of decades. 
Sure. So I guess there's probably two pieces of that. You know, the first is that the music industry was extremely disrupted by by the digitalization of music, mm-hmm. you know, and it took them a good 15 years to really sort it out and figure it out. So, you know, royalty or royalty income dropped from kind of 1999 to 2015. And since 2015 has actually started growing. And that's just because the growth of streaming is now more than making up for any drop in CD sales. You know, mm. Spotify, they grew from 40 million paid subscribers to 50 million paid subscribers in four and a half months. Wow. I mean, that's a that's a big change. And their so their growth rate is unbelievable. So I think the music business itself has now finally embraced you know, the digitization and they've Mm -hmm. embraced kind of this broader decentralized network where it used to not be that way. Um, So I think as a, as a result of that, now that the industry is finally growing, what we're seeing is that artists can now control their own destiny in ways that they couldn't a decade ago. You know, a decade ago, you had to be signed with one of these major labels in order to get heard on the radio. And that was really the only way to make money. Um, But now you have Chance the Rapper just won a Grammy and he's never sold a CD in his life. Oh my. You know, he was, he was 100% streaming. All of his income is streaming. All of his music is distributed streaming. All of his audience is that way. So that's those are things that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, they couldn't even imagine. But now the artist controls a lot of their own destiny. And I think that's created a much broader you know, I would would say middle class, you know, where it Mm -hmm. used to be only the top 1%. And now you have a lot of these artists who can generate great income, you know, control their own destiny and, and have a lot more options available to them. So they got Chance the Rapper without, without, did he ever actually sign with a record label or is he just, is just find some type of agency to help publish his material and, and collect the royalties on it? We would have to fact check it. My understanding is that there's no label. Yeah. involved at all. It's really all through his distribution. There are these companies that basically you put your music on there. You know, mm-hmm. I know he started on SoundCloud, which is yeah. actually a free platform. But then there are these other places that, you know, they'll put it into iTunes. They'll put it into Spotify. They'll put it into all of that for you and then collect the royalties. Got it. So, you know, his is he didn't even need it. Like they become they've become I don't want to say completely irrelevant, but you know, it's they're not an absolute necessity the way they used to be. So, so like Napster was the nuclear bomb that went off in the music industry, and it took took them fifteen years to essentially figure out what to do. But now the opportunity is probably bigger and better than ever. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, I think it was a McKinsey report that I read probably towards the end of last year, but between 2015 and 2020, they're expecting the music industry to almost to basically double. Holy moly. Never a better time to uh, to be in the business, I guess, or to be in royalties. <laughs> so, is there anything in the horizon that you could see that would have, that would negatively affect royalties? Now that we've we've gotten over this big disruptive movement that is now actually being embraced and seems to be a positive uh, positive benefit for the industry. Yeah, I mean, I think in any industry, there's always risks, and I think uh, some big ones that we we pay attention to here at Royalty Exchange is certainly as we're talking to a lot of folks in the music business, you know. The songwriter side, so that's that is mostly the composition copyright. Mm-hmm. Um, but the songwriters, seventy percent of their income is basically relies on the U.S. Copyright Board. It relies on more regulatory frameworks, and so you know you always wonder if those can change. You know, and there's uh, there's rumor that they're trying to get the radio stations to play or sorry to pay the the sound recording copyright. So all of those things are kind of always in discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think that's always something that you want to pay attention to. And then also you never know. I mean, the blockchain, I think, is probably a positive disruption to the music business uh, just because it can it can further reduce some of these intermediaries in yeah. terms of payment flow and identification. But I do think that'll be disruptive. You just don't know. You don't know exactly who it'll hit more and when it'll hit, you yeah. know, but I. I think the music business is ripe for disruption in the blockchain. That's awesome. That's that's cool to uh, to hear your, your take on technology like the blockchain and how it could get into to music eventually. And I think the blockchain as a whole has been been pretty cool for a lot of uh, a lot of different things. So see what other things end up on it in the future. It could be it could be pretty incredible. And um, I just want to jump into the platform a bit. 
Can you give us just kind of a breakdown? What does a typical deal look like on the platform? I'm looking at a couple right now, but just for the benefit of the listeners out there. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I'm, I guess, do you, do you mean just in how, how it works, how every deal works? Yeah, maybe we could just run over like an example of one that is either live now or has, have, has previously closed. Uh, but sure. I just want to give everyone a sense of, you know, what, what, what is being acquired and, you know, what the duration of those royalties are and what's it look like. Got it. Yeah. So the easiest way to think of it is everything we do right now, uh, not forever, but right now is, is an auction based. So, you know, the, we'll work with the, the creator, the songwriter, whoever the seller is, uh, and figure out what they plan on selling. If it's a percentage, if it's everything, you know, like I said, what's one of the things we offer them that, you know, never really existed. It used to be all or nothing. Now, you know, they can sell 50%, keep an interest in it, which is in some ways it's better for the investor because now they have a, a passive interest. They don't have to worry about working, you know, mm-hmm. they just, uh, the money comes in every quarter. So we work with them to basically figure out what they're selling and how to, how to get it started. We put it up along the site with all the financials behind it. So when you're looking at it, I always encourage everybody to go to the financials tab you know, that's where we put all the charts to show the earnings over time, the earnings by source. Um, and then if for anybody who's more comfortable or wants to do further analysis, we have we present all of the raw data so they can download it themselves and and do their own analysis. Mm. Um, so and then we basically tell the story behind the catalog. So was it, you know, who who exactly is it? What songs is it? You know, what what it's earned historically. So we basically just try to tell the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have the story and you have the financials, then you know we basically wait at that stage for an opening bid. Once we get that opening bid, it kicks off the auction for three or five days. And um, the only kind of little interesting nuance is we don't really allow sniping, you know, so somebody to come in at the last fraction of a second and put in their Got you by you know, a dollar. Their bid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anytime a bid comes in in the last five minutes, the auction gets extended. And I that just makes it fair to both the buyer and seller so that there's, you know, real price discovery in the asset class. Yeah, definitely more user friendly. Would the artist come to you guys to sell their royalties because it's almost like a cash advance on it in a sense, right? Yeah. I mean, most of the time they're coming to us, it's a, it's a financial decision for them. You know, their their yeah. asset is this royalty that's sitting, you know, that they have to wait for payment. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've had anybody, you know, sometimes they, they're looking to buy a house or build a studio or go on tour. So usually it's something pretty specific in their life that they're looking to, to finance. And mm-hmm. they're just, you know, they're, uh, they're taking that. And I, one thing I realized I didn't answer is the investor when they buy it, it is in, in really almost every case that you're looking at the auctions, it's a permanent sale. So we list on there how long the investment term is. And usually it's 70 years after the death of the, of the creator. So it's think of it as a generation. That's the easiest way. And is that, that's just standard in the industry, like 70 years after the creator dies, it just, there's no more royalties on it. It's just open for anyone. Yeah. That's like the, it's basically copyright law. So I'm not sure if you remember, but even, uh, even the happy birthday song became public domain. Finally. Yeah. Well, well, I think that's actually a lot better than patents because I think in patents you only get like 20 years or something yeah, like that from is the time of patenting it. So Yeah. Copyrights are much longer than, than patents. That's for sure. Wow. That's awesome. So when we're looking at, I'm looking at one right now that's on the site. I think people would really need to dive into the financials a lot to make an, an educated bid. But just for, for conversation's sake, so I'm looking at one with the last 12 months royalties were uh, $1,269. $1, so just off that number, you, you can't really make an educated or smart bid, right? Because that 12 months royalties could be the first 12 months since it's published, or it could be 20 years after it was is published. And you would just need to kind of have a, a better understanding of what the projected royalties will be for the future. Correct? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's, that's a great insight. And I think the, you know, we've seen the easiest way to think about the price that these things go at or the valuation is mm-hmm. a, a multiple on the previous 12 months. So we make that number readily available. 
But I would always encourage people to look at old auctions, you know, so we've done done 115 auctions uh, in basically the last 13, 14 months. And we've seen multiples as low as like really less than two times the previous year earnings. Wow. And as high as 12 times. Also, wow. And the and the biggest difference is exactly as you talked about. It's, you know, where does where does that song fall in its life cycle? Is it brand new, more speculative, you know? which in that case, sometimes it goes for a lower multiple. Or is it, you know, like our Barry White, we had a Barry White song that went for, I think it was 11 and a half times. And that's because the song was written 25 years ago, uh, 30 years ago, even, Mm -hmm. I think. And, you know, it was the earnings. We were able to present, I think, five years of earnings. And it was a very smooth earning cycle. It wasn't really dropping. It wasn't really increasing, but it was predictable. So the investor is willing to pay more of a, premium for that than something that feels riskier. Do you see over time that royalties of a song ever go up month uh, annually in terms of creating better returns or, or more cash? Or do they almost always kind of go down a little bit over time? I love that. That's a great question. It's uh, five years ago, they always went down. Uh, now we're actually seeing situations because of the growth in streaming where catalogs are actually going up. Hmm. And so that's a, it's a breakdown of the earnings ultimately. Um, so that's why, that's part of the reason we try to encourage people to look at, you know, earnings by source and, you know, over time, but yeah, five years ago, it used to always be basically on a decline unless they were adding new songs to that catalog. That's cool. You never know, like you never know when a song's just going to get really popular in Korea and just go crazy. Yeah. Well, but even, you know, the example would be like Chance the Rapper or, mm-hmm. you know, some there is a, a catalog that I, I analyzed about three weeks ago where almost 100 percent of its earnings was streaming and it was growing every single month. You mm-hmm. know? Wow. And th- those are those are things you just don't you wouldn't have seen before. But now it is a real possibility just because of the growth of streaming. And these auctions are always won by a single bidder, not multiple bidders? Right now, everything is single buyer to single seller. That is mm-hmm. correct. I think uh, at some point that will change. Uh, but obviously, that introduces some securities laws and things like that that we want to make sure we comply with when the time comes. And who, who are the, who's actually coming to you? Is it, oh, is it the, the copyright holder? It's obviously the royalty owner of some, to some degree, but it's not necessarily the artist or, or the copywriter. It could be a a collection of different types of people. Exactly. So in any, this is an interesting part of the the music business, but in any particular song there, I think the average that I read somewhere is there's about eight to nine people who are earning royalties on any particular song. So it could be, you know, the artist, it could be the songwriter. A lot of times there's more than one songwriter, you know, um, the producer, all of those folks that are a part of the production of that song usually Mm -hmm usually have an income stream associated to it. Very cool. And I guess that would be disclosed in the description of the auction of what type of royalty or what type of rights it is that you're buying. Exactly. So usually the first line always says exactly whether it's songwriters or, you know, what exact share it is. And then we also have like a little table that tries to explain, you know, that table shows up in every auction. So you can compare auctions, uh, the differences between them. Very cool. So if you win an auction, what can you expect? How does it, how does the whole thing unfold and, and how do you end up getting paid? Sure. So, I mean, the, the main thing for us, like we talked about earlier, is that we have clean title transfer between the buyer and the seller. Mm-hmm. Um, so we work with the, with, the, with the seller and the buyer to make sure that happens with these collection groups, um, these quasi-government agencies. And so if it's on the site, we already know what that process is. So we actually, it's the same thing. If you're looking at a, at a listing now, we have a tab there that talks about the closing process. And then we also show when the first payment will be. Because that way, I think it helps the investor understand exactly what to expect. But so the main thing is we, we transfer title. We release payment to the seller once we're confirmed that the transfer has been made. And then... Uh, usually within three months, the the investor can get their can expect to get their first check. And is that first check does that is that facilitated through the platform or is that just it comes to your mail and and it's uh, through a third party? 
So it usually goes direct to them. Very rarely are, do, does royalty exchange actually administer. So we think it's cleaner title if the buyer is registered with that, with the paying agency and they get the check directly from them. I love the fact that you get a check because I don't have any checks come to my mail anymore and I want some more. And <laughs> I know a lot of the, the alternative asset classes that we're exploring and or invested in, a lot of times the money's reinvested back in to the asset or it's a it's a bank transfer, but it never feels like money, you know, because it, it sometimes yeah. it happens automatically where you know, getting a check in the mail, it feels like you're getting paid and nothing feels better than feeling like you're getting paid, right? I mean, that was one of the biggest draws to me is I'm like, well, I, I love cash flow. And, you know, so real estate was obviously a, a big appeal because everybody, mm -hmm. real estate is usually addressed as like mailbox money, right? The the day rent is due. And, um, but, you know, the thing with real estate is you have to, you have to put a roof on that building every 15 years or so. And I didn't like, I'm like, man, if I want money, I just want it to come my way and I want to reinvest it. So yeah, it's 100% cash. Yeah, obviously, they these these agencies are uh, up to technology enough. They'll ACH you if you don't want a real check. But mm -hmm. otherwise, they'll get you a real check every quarter. I love the comparison to real estate. So you know, real estate, I'm always complaining. A lot of people love it. I hate it because I just the the last thing i have right now is is any type of uh additional bandwidth in my mind so whenever i get you know have to deal with a, a signing foreign corporation docs or dealing with with uh property managers and stuff it just it's it just eats me up yeah. and you know with music royalties i guess like you know obviously it's hard to compare it's kind of comparing apples to oranges but you you know you you essentially have no headaches right you're just getting a check in the mail and you're not you're not having to to answer anyone or fix anything correct yeah and i think that you know comparisons are helpful but i obviously you're not comparing the same thing always mm -hmm. but i think the the difference is in real estate you can be an active investor you can turn around an asset yeah you know and and so if you buy at the wrong price you may be able to kind of turn it around with with royalties and you know music royalties in particular it is a, it is almost all of them are very passive investments. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a focus on buying at the right price and being disciplined on the buy price. And then you don't have to think about it from then right. on out. Right. So these are really like buy and hold strategies. You're not, this is not something that is a, a super liquid asset that you can turn around and flip easily and, and, or try to, to gain appreciation. It's something you're buying really for, for the yield in return. Yeah. Most people are buying for cash flow. I mean, so far, I think generally as a, as a mission that we have with royalty exchanges, as we bring liquidity to the asset class of royalties, including music, generally you will see appreciation to, to an asset class as, as liquidity is offered. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we're very early on in that stage. You know, to date we have, we've had one person resell at a profit, but that he wasn't doing it to flip it. He was doing it he had a different need in his life and he just yeah. wanted to sell. So, uh, but yeah, I think, I think we will see appreciation of the asset class over time with liquidity, but I think that's, our buyers aren't, aren't betting on that. They're not mm -hmm. planning on it. Awesome stuff. Let me think. There's another question I wanted. Okay. So we talked about multiples earlier that you said sometimes they're, they're two times last month's, uh, I'm sorry, last 12 months revenues or royalties. And sometimes they've been as high as 12 times. Do you have any idea what that, that translates your CPA? So I thought I might ask or <laughs> have a CPA background. Do you have any idea what that translates in terms of annual return? So let's say you put a, you, you paid a hundred thousand dollars for the royalties. Could you expect to, to get, you know, a 5% or 10% or 15% return on these types of auctions? Yeah. I mean, if you look at the asset class historically, it's usually 14 to 16%. Now that's a very broad statement. Mm -hmm. So, you know, something that is trading at something that the buyer paid a 12 times multiple, assuming that stays flat, you know, they're basically at an 8% return. Mm -hmm. So uh, now somebody who paid a, a two times multiple, it would be easy for me to sit here and say, well, they're generating 50% per year. But, you know, realistically, they're, they did that because there's more risk. There's a chance that it'll drop in earnings. And so, you know, their their return basically depends on how how it performs in the future. Gotcha. And it doesn't matter how much you're getting paid 
whether it's a lot or a little, does it always seem like you're getting paid out quarterly? It does. It does depend. I would say 90% of our auctions are quarterly. Every mm-hmm. now and then there's a monthly one. And then there's also some that end up paying just twice a year. But almost everything we do it ends up being quarterly. That's really cool. Well, I know there's a lot of listeners out there that are are dying to to invest in this type of stuff, including myself. And I think there's a lot of people out there that would want to do it just for the <laughs> just to be able to say that they own somebody's royalties, somebody cool like a Jay Z or or whoever else. Do is there interest from you know that that really high level you know s- superstar? Well, they have a lot of money anyways, right? It's probably not not as much in need, but yeah. I mean, I think oftentimes it's it's not always a uh, a, a like a desperate need, but they're just trying to balance their own portfolio. Mm. So, and I so we haven't done anything with Jay Z in particular, but in terms of uh, you know, there are a cast of characters behind you know Kanye West or Chris Brown. So we have done quite a few in that genre. Uh, so I just think it it's a matter of, remember, it's not always the artist, mm-hmm. you know, it's people who can be tied to the artist. I mean, we've sold personally, I, I got interested in like Dr. Dre we had on the, on the platform. Um, so we've had, we've had quite a few along those lines and, you know, some people have bought for that reason. I would say very few buy for that reason. Uh, the only one I can think of recently is we've had, uh, it was a country song and, this gentleman's uh, daughter got proposed to from the country song. Ah, uh, so he wanted to buy it for her as a wedding gift. That is pretty cool. Yeah, so there are certain like you know there is kind of a cocktail story to owning an asset like this, but I think over generally speaking, the the people are buying it primarily for the income, and then if it can be a great story, that's even better. And how about the investors? Do you are, are these people that? know a lot about music and, and the royalties or do you find a lot of new people that are just look, searching for alternative investments and non-correlated assets uh jumping on the platform yep most of them i would say are about 85 percent are are basically financial buyers just mm-hmm. they're interested in alternative assets cash flow and and non-correlation we do have um, a bunch of people who are in the music business who you know, every they are using our platform to kind of acquire and build their catalog. So we have both, but definitely a vast majority of them are the financial everyday mm-hmm. investors like you and I. So Jeff, I just want to kind of summarize a little bit with who can invest and, you know, what limitations are there? Is this for accredited investors only? Ah, good question. That's a common misconception. Since everything we do right now is one-to-one, you don't have to be an accredited investor. So anybody can buy uh, anybody can invest. Uh, you don't have to be accredited. The only thing we do, um, just basically to prevent bad actors from kind of just bidding without, you know, without intent to buy, we do verify every bidder. So mm-hmm. we, we talk to them on the phone. We, we try to understand what their, what their source of funds are and things like that, just to make sure we get bad actors out. And I think that makes the experience better for both the buyers and the sellers generally for the health of the marketplace. A bad actor could be someone like just trying to 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 get the bid level up, someone like on the inside or something. I, either someone on the inside or somebody who's just doing it out of curiosity, and then we, you know, then they, but they have no real intent to to completing the transaction. Ah, uh, makes sense. Yeah. So they're just bidding. They're bidding because they want to explore it, but we we actually we don't allow them to bid until we have some verification of of who they are and and you know what they what their intent is. Well, there'll be a lot of excited people out there to know that you do not have to be accredited. Those those type of investments are are relatively few and far between. And this is uh this is really exciting stuff. So, what what would be the process of getting an account set up and getting started? What's um what does that entail? As you mentioned, there's some type of uh sort of like a vetting process. Typically, how long does it take to get an account set up and get into your first auction? I mean, it's it's pretty painless if they just go to royaltyexchange.com. There's a invest button at the top. Just click on that and you can get registered. You know, I would encourage everybody to read the the ultimate guide to buying royalties, music royalties. I think that's a helpful mm-hmm. way to orient yourself. Other than that, I would just watch a couple auctions, pay attention to see how they work. Um, you know, we've got a great account management team so that when you, you know, if you have questions or if you're ready to bid, just reach out. We'll uh, we'll do the verification process. It's just done by phone. 
And then from there, you're, that's a one-time thing and you can bid away forever into the future. So guys, we'll leave links to all that, that good material on the show notes. Jeff, I think that about sums it up, man. This is really, really awesome stuff. What an interesting asset class and, and your platform is, uh, is something that's going to open up. I, I, you know, investors really never could dream of having access to this. I would think 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago. So, uh, very cool what you guys are doing. It's the exact type of stuff that we really like to unearth and un- uncover on the show. So Jeff really want to just thank you for coming on and sharing all this great material with us. I appreciate it, Sam. It was great talking to you. Dude, that was an interesting episode. I, I, I just, my mind is blown about what is possible in investments nowadays. Yeah. Aside from being an awesome investment class and something that's super intriguing, I really learned a ton on that, just about how the entire industry works as a whole. It's something I've always kind of subconsciously thought about, like how these people get so much money and make so much money. It can't strictly be off CD sales. And how the whole radio and uh, public—I don't even know what you would call it. Like, what's, what, when you hear something, is it pub- is that a public performance? Yeah. So I actually had to look it up after this episode when I was looking on Relative Exchange and kind of just f- figuring out what investments they had. And I was like, public performance. And I really, really did think it was just live concerts. And I was like, some of these people are dead. Like, what right. are you know, I'm not buying royalty to someone who can physically no longer perform. But a public performance turns out to be anything on the radio, on TV, in a movie, or even if they play the music in a bar. Okay. And I think that even goes into another layer where if someone else plays it, like if Johnny decides he wants to get up and do a cover song at a bar that he's actually making money off of, I think that also becomes another royalty layer. Well, you're right, but I, th- I think as kind of Jeff explained, there's the the copyright, then there's the, the actual yeah. like song, you know, the words itself and the music track. So I think all of that gets a bit, a little bit um, complicated. So even on YouTube, I think the easiest way for po- most people to kind of think about it is there's a ton of cover artists on YouTube. Sometimes uh, they can claim that as their own, I don't want to say original music, but they can, they can get away with creative licensing and saying, you know, this is my mm-hmm. performance of inspired by this song. And they can claim the royalties for that through ad revenue on, on YouTube. And sometimes they can't. Sometimes it gets flagged and says, no, this is owned by BMI. So I think it is honestly very, very complicated. And I think it's a little bit over my head personally. Yeah. Sometimes when I've uploaded YouTube videos, that we've made of like traveling or something and it had a song on it that it has actually gotten blocked because they you know youtube has either some automated or manual checks of these things and when they saw that i had a song uh, like uh, you know not a royalty free song on my video they blocked it so the cool thing as a royalty owner of music is that you don't have to worry about this stuff there's massive overseeing authorities both domestically and internationally that have a very tight eye on this because it's a huge industry and there's a lot of people making money from it. Uh, So I think that's a really cool and reassuring thing about being the royalty owner is that this isn't something new, even though this is a relatively new uh, asset class that we have access to. It's not a new industry. And this stuff has been kind of stood the test of time and and made money for a lot, a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. And I think actually with technology today, it's going to be easier for companies to collect their royalties. Because if you think about it, even just a couple of years ago, people had to manually go in on places like YouTube, you know, listen to the song and say, okay, well, you know, is this a royalty-free song or not? Now it's all done through algorithms. There's definitely not a person listening to every single YouTube video and, you know, trying to figure out if, if people have the copyright for it. It's all automated. And I think nowadays with everything being played online either through Spotify or different music streaming services and the fact that the music industry has finally got their act together and figured out how they can ride this trend you know not just block it because a lot you know before they just blocked it they said nope you know we're taking down you have to take down this video and it's so much smarter of them now to say no you can leave the video up go ahead and play it we just collect the ad revenue yeah and Jeff had mentioned which I thought was really cool is that the digitization of music really, really hurt and disrupted the industry for about a decade. And now, now that they have it together and they've really gotten their heads around streaming, the opportunity is better than ever. And and they said that the music industry is set to double from 2015 to 2020. So 
huge opportunity for just about anyone in music from the royalty owners, especially for people that are trying to get started at a grass, you know, grassroots level. Right. You have, of course, like Justin Bieber, he got basically famous off a YouTube video, uh, just playing the piano. And I think that's really cool. So it's, it's now anybody that basically has a computer and a microphone and maybe a musical instrument or just a really good voice can be discovered without, you know, without having it to be discovered by one of the huge record labels or even getting onto American Idol or something like that. So it's, it's a great opportunity for everyone. And thanks to, you know, thanks to the internet and technology and the digitalization of music. Yeah, I think one thing that we didn't really mention on this interview is that flip side that you just mentioned, where anybody listening to this podcast, even if you guys don't want to invest in other people's music, things like royalty exchange make it a much easier for you as an artist to get paid for your work, to be able to flip your royalty contracts and say, well, instead of me getting you know a couple hundred bucks for the next 30 years, let me flip it now for a couple thousand dollars and use that money to produce more songs. Mm-hmm. So I think it really is a technology really is a win-win for, for both sides, uh, both the artist side, as well as um, the, you know, the investor side. And actually I would, I would say you know, for the customers as well, because you know, going back to the YouTube point, people want to have cool music on the YouTube videos. And a lot of people don't really care about monetizing their videos. A lot of people aren't even trying to get the ad revenue for it. Mm. So, but they want to use a cool song or cool beat. Now they can do that and just credit, you know, the proper royalty owner and say, I want to make this cool video so my fans will like it or my friends will like it. I don't care about the money. The money you can send it directly to Sam Marks, who owns that, that right. Yeah. And speaking of cool songs, Johnny and I were in Spain uh, about two weeks ago, right after the recording of this. And we were having some nice wine. I don't forget where we were, some some old monastery. And I was bidding in an auction via Royalty Exchange for one of my favorite songs, one of the best rap songs of all time. I'm going to give you guys a little taste of it right now. If you don't know, you better listen right now. Uh, rock with it. <laughs> uh. So lean with it, rock with it. By the franchise boys. I hope I don't have to pay a royalty on that to somebody, whoever well, the new owner is. <laughs> that's why I tried to, so, to, to wrap over a little bit just to mess it up. So hopefully the algorithms will yeah, catch yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We, we made our own remix. So they through Royalty Exchange, them franchise boys, the, the royalty owners of that were selling, I believe it was 75% of the royalties of that song. I love that song. That's like one of my favorite classic songs. You know, I was coming up and I was in high school and that song and everyone was doing the dance in high school. And I was trying to get verified through Royalty Exchange, but because I was in Spain and time difference and I didn't have good cell service, I, it was like 24 hours and I needed to get verified and I couldn't get a service uh, to, to call them. But I made a bid, but your bid doesn't go through until you're verified. So my bid actually would have won the auction when I woke up, but I wasn't able to get verified in time. So super cool though, like right after the interview and to have this episode and then that song came out and I was like, wow, like they really have access to some some really good classic stuff and some new stuff as well. So I would encourage everyone, just like with all these new asset classes that we're discovering, as I always say, get on the mailing list if nothing else, because just in the last couple of weeks, Johnny, I've learned so much by seeing some of the deal flow that they're getting through and the different types of categories of royalties that are coming through. You'll learn a lot. It's really interesting. Um, and it's a good way to learn about the asset class. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even if you just log on to RoadToExchange.com and just look at the auctions and look at the past and previous ones, what people are buying it for, what's included, you click the financials. I think it's just a good learning experience. And this is something that I literally knew nothing about until this episode. So I think if anything, if this is just a another way to educate ourselves in what is available for modern investors, especially if you are not accredited or you're not from the US, which I know a lot of our listeners uh, are looking for more alternative ways to invest their money. It's good stuff. Good summary, Johnny. And I think that about sums it up. But are you planning on investing and acquiring any music royalties? No, definitely, definitely not for me. It's, it's, I think it's over my head, to be honest. And I think mm-hmm. I don't know enough about the industry or the money. To me, it's almost like a gamble. So I don't know if most people realize this, but 
their auctions, a lot of them are not just for a few songs. So if you guys log in and you, and you actually take a look to see the listings, when you click on media, it'll have a YouTube video of the song or maybe the three songs that are part of it. But if you actually click on documents and track list, it actually shows you all the songs that are included in the auction. And I'm actually, I, I didn't look at the lean with the rock with it one, but was it just for that one song or was there a track list of other songs that, were, that was included with that auction? There was, there was other songs. I think there are four or five and, but they will show you a breakdown of, of the previous royalties, say like last 12 months and maybe the last, I think they made me do like the last six years as well, or even longer. And they'll show you the royalty percentage that that song has made up of the catalog in comparison to other songs. So there's, there's a lot of analytics that you should put into this. There's a lot of analysis. You should look at this. You need to kind of come up with your own projections. Uh, but one of the cool things with this stuff is, is it's not like, a, let's say you're investing in a REIT where you're probably projected to make say 6% for, you know, for as long as you hold that REIT, depending on the market and a bunch of other things. But with the, with the royalty exchange, some of the songs that you're, you're bidding on, some of the royalties you're bidding on can yield up to, you know, 30, 40, 50% in a year. Now the question is, is that, is that level going to hold up? Is it, is it, is it peaking for some reason the last couple of years or, um, or is the music industry in, or that category going to grow or not? So you have to put a kind of a lot of smarts and, and, and thinking behind this, but some of the returns can be very, very good. Uh, you just gotta, you gotta know how to analyze each deal. And if you know a little bit about music and, and that category, then all the better. Yeah, definitely. So looking at the financial tabs on Royalty Exchange, it, you're right. It shows you back for six years. So for this one I'm looking at, it actually shows you back to 2009, which is actually mm -hmm. uh, about, what, seven, eight years back. And you can see the chart and, and growth. The only thing that I personally don't like about about investing in, in royalties is kind of just based on the the graphs is unlike, you know, let's say – an index fund where past performance, even though they say it does not equal future performance, mm -hmm. you can kind of see the trend and you're like, okay, you know, it looks like it's been growing for the last, you know, 10 years, you know, some dips up and up and down and it's probably going to go back up. So to me, even though, and every single document will always say past performance does not equal future performance, in my mind, I'm like, you know, it, it most likely still will be. But for things like uh, music royalties, what happens is the reason why you get these big spikes in what it's worth is because a TV show picks it up or a movie picks it up. And obviously once, you know, the hype of that show is, is gone or it's not airing, you know, live anymore, it's definitely going to go down. You, you'll still make money from it, but it's not going to be a big spike. And unless something, you know, happens where it becomes super cult popular, popular and gets uh, another big influx of new list, you know, uh, new watchers, you're not get that big spike. So I think the the way to actually make money from royalties is to look on the track list and see if there's other songs that potentially may be used for a movie or TV show in the future, and almost kind of bet on that. Where you're almost kind of betting on, I'll get a little bit of money from the past royalties. For example, uh, the Real Housewives of Atlanta ha has been making money from these songs since 2010, and you know, it, it fluctuates, you know, up and down, but by far the kind of the biggest three years was 2013, 2015, and then it's going back down again, 2016, 2017. So I wouldn't rely on that, you know, saying, okay, you know, people are going to start watching reruns of Real, Real Housewives of ATL. I would bet more on the other songs that are included in that, in that package. Yeah, I think that's generally correct. There are if you if you're acquiring something that's a truly a classic, uh, I saw just last week they had on a Sesame uh, Sesame Street um, song catalog, and if you think of like Lean with It, Rock with It, when I was looking at theirs, they actually had a recent increase over the last uh, two years compared to the previous eight. So a song like Lean with It, Rock with It, that was played at almost every football stadium, an American football stadium. Uh, at one point, right? And so new sports teams could come out or sports teams could reintroduce it. Or if you own a song like, let's say, uh, Coolio's Gangster Paradise, like a, a real, real classic from way back when, you know, new new TV shows could come out and you use that. Like classic songs are kind of 
always around, which I think is one of the really cool things. And that's what I've been looking at on Royalty Exchange. I've been looking for for classic songs that, you know, Dr. Dre and stuff like this that will be popular even 10, 15, 20 years from now with our at least with our generation. Uh, but with anything, you have to analyze it. And um, and there's uh, you know, you, you'll come up with a way to kind of figure out your own projections. But if anyone's done this before and has a lot of experience in this, please let us know because I think it's a super, super interesting asset class and something that, you know, Johnny, I know you and I would love to continue to learn more and more about. Yeah, definitely. I would say you're absolutely right about that. And I would encourage anyone just to get on the mailing list and just see if these classics come on because I, to me, I think that's the kind of the most surefire way to have a sustainable um, income from Road exchange or, you know, just royalties in general. And I think the other way is to, I don't want to say gamble, but kind of just buy these big, big packages thinking, okay, yeah. maybe one of these, maybe one of these will hit. And it's also kind of cool looking at the closed auctions. So I would encourage people just to take a look to see what has sold in the past and for how much. It'd be very, very cool to be able to somehow track, you know, ones that had closed a year ago and see how they're doing now. I don't know how, we would get access to that information or if that's even available. But I, I think if someone can figure that out, that would be really, really good information on, you know, on how much money people are actually making after they acquire the royalties. I would love to invest in like a music royalty ETF that's like high yielding, you know, like eight, nine percent or something. That would be super cool. Maybe that's maybe that's something that's coming in the future as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess we'll, we'll definitely see. But I'm excited to you know just explore and see all these different access classes. Uh, I know you're really excited about leading with a rock with it, but after that kind of you know initial excitement has died down, what are your plans on on investing in royalties or not? Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm still looking. Um, I'm still disappointed that I didn't buy that I didn't get lean with it rock with it. I think there's an element to this that is it's a cool factor. Like for me, when I saw that, I'm like, this would be this would be cool. It's worth the investment. It's, you know, it's, it looks like it'll make financial sense, but it's also just kind of a fun investment that a lot of the investments I don't have are fun. So there is some element to that. I'm not going to lie, but I think it also makes financial sense in a lot of ways. The one thing I will tell listeners to take a look at with a bit of caution is some of these require trust. So some of the, I was bidding on two different auctions and they required trust. Not all of them do. I forget what the rule is, but if, if you have to set up a trust and a bank account for that trust, that's a little bit of extra legwork. So I would just go, it's okay. Um, but I would just say, you know, for me, I, I would need to make the investment worth the time. So for instance, I'm not gonna, I wouldn't do that and set up a trust in a bank account. If it's only going to make $1,500 a year, if it's going to make 10,000 or $15,000, then it's, it's a little bit easier to justify the paperwork. So I'm looking for, yeah, I'm looking for something that's classic, that's not new, because I don't really know how new things are going to perform, but something that's been around for a long time. Um, if it requires a trust that's going to pay out, you know, at least ten or 15000 a year. And yeah, I'm excited. It's something I'd, I'm, I'm looking at every email that comes through, and I'm looking at the site weekly to, to check out the new listing. So I'm, I'm on it, buddy. I'm on it. Yeah, I, I could definitely see this being more of a passion product, project for you and just you know, how cool it would be to just own the rights to, to a song. You know, if anything, just to be able to play it for this podcast. <laughs> just, exactly. Just, yeah. right. free. I love it. Uh, so I want to give a big thank you to everyone who's been leaving these amazing five-star reviews of the podcast on iTunes. You guys, the reason why we're able to continue doing the show, you know, bring on these cool guests and bring you all these alternative asset classes. This week, I want to say thank you to John Eternal. He said, real actionable advice, five stars. I've been listening since episode one, incorporating the advice that applied or excited me. Happy to say my wealth has been improved as I have shifted my mindset. Keep up the great content. Hope to catch you guys in person somewhere in the world. Big thanks, John. Where are you actually still? Are you still walking around Ireland? I'm walking around Ireland. I have had hay fever since you left, so going on about nine days. If I sound a little nasally, that's the reason why. But you know what? If it if it wasn't for the the charity, I would have I would have left a long time ago. Like it's the the Midlands has been really really difficult. It's been walking on like roads with like big trucks, no shoulders. Uh, it's been raining every single day. The pollen has been absolutely ridiculously unbearable. Uh, but that's, you know, that's, uh, it's a good thing for the charity 
and I'm, I'm, ha- I'm happy to see it through to the completion and get these playgrounds built. But other than that, the walking across country fantasy is probably going to be <laughs> finished after this one. And I'm looking forward to getting back to some sunshine. And I, I know you're in Berlin. How's that? It's sunny. <laughs> it's nice. Yeah. And I am glad I, I joined you for the first eight days of the walk, especially because that first part of the Wicklow Way was beautiful. Yeah. And I'm very happy that I left when I did. But you know, good on you for for supporting the the cause. If you guys want to check out the campaign or donate to it, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. And actually, one of our boss lounge uh, members said he wants to anonymously donate for every single person who supports the show by leaving a review on on iTunes. Uh, he said that he's going to donate. I think he said ten bucks per. Uh, review that goes on uh, iTunes, mm-hmm. and he's gonna donate that under your name or anonymously. I don't know, but just you, you'll get credit for it. We'll at least give you a shout out uh, to the charity. So even if you don't have money to donate to the campaign and you want to make a difference, help build playgrounds for kids in Cambodia, and all you have to do is take five minutes, go on the iTunes app on your computer uh, or wherever you you listen to podcasts, leave a review. And uh, maybe mention the the charity, and we'll make sure you get your credit for that. Yeah, thank you guys for those reviews, and thank you to the anonymous boss lounge guy for his generosity in supporting the effort and the podcast. Yeah, very cool. And if you guys haven't joined the boss lounge yet, just go to investlikeaboss.com, click on bonus, and you will get instructions on how to join our private members group there for free. And we'll see all of you guys next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.